Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Spencer Brandt, who is one of the rising young stars in uh, local progressive democratic circles. And he's on a lot of uh, different uh, groups, committees, volunteer efforts, organizer, and we're going to let him sort of walk us through all of that, but I've been admiring you from afar for a while, Spencer, and I appreciate all the work you do in the community. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. I I was mentioning to you just a couple seconds ago, but I love the podcast format, avid listener podcast, so um, I'm super excited to be on to help contribute. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, not to pull the curtain back too much, but, you know, I've talked to you a little bit on stories the last couple of years, but you know, we have not actually ever met one on one for coffee or had really super long conversations. So this is gonna be really exciting. We're kind of just doing it here live in front of everybody. So I appreciate you taking the time. Let's start with the Isla Vista Community Services District and what that is, what that organization is. As you know, I grew up in Goleta and Um, This is a a fairly new sort of government agency that exists to uh, provide services for locals. So can you talk to me about what the Community Service District is and your role and how it helps the people of Isla Vista? Absolutely. So uh, I'm the president of the board of the Isla Vista Community Services District, and we are a local government agency. So we're one of nine community services districts in Santa Barbara County. And um, really, the best way to think about us is that we're a sort of municipal city-like agency providing public services, but we do not um, make laws or um, sort of regulate land use or permitting or anything like that. And so um, really, our mission is to provide our residents with increased safety, arts, cultural programming. Um, We do a little bit in transportation planning. Uh, street cleaning, we have a compost collection program, and I could go on and on. Um, But really, the Community Services District uh, was formed out of uh, a very difficult two years for Isla Vista in 2013 and 2014, where we saw civil unrest during Deltopia, and then just weeks later, a mass shooting that killed six residents. And uh, this really left our entire community traumatized and and shocked. But I love the metaphor of the rose that grows from concrete, because I think it also really uh, inspired people to come together and say, we want to work to build a better community, uh, a safer, more livable environment. And um, so organizers at the time worked with Assemblymember Doss Williams to pass special legislation to create a community services district that had really unique uh, powers uh, and abilities, uh, including you know, regulating parking, uh, contracting for policing, and the ability to levy a special kind of tax to fund those services. And we also constructed a governance structure that's really unique. Uh, we have a board of directors with seven members, and five of us, uh, myself included, are elected at large in the community. Two members are appointed, uh, one by the Board of Supervisors and one by the Chancellor of UCSB. Um, And we're also the only community services district that has one of our elected positions being elected every two years, which allows uh, for a seat that can be easily uh, ran for and won by a college student. And um, that seat has been filled by a college student the entire time we've been in existence since we were formed in 2017. So um, yeah, that's kind of an overview of of, of what we are, um, 
there's um, many specific programs that I'd love to go into that um, I think we've been able to accomplish and create over the last number of years. Yeah. So, you know, Isla Vista is within the jurisdiction of Santa Barbara County. And so it was not part of Goleta Cityhood. It was within the county and it has historically been one of those areas. And it's obviously up for debate and it's controversial, but some say it's neglected or, you know, it was, there was a need before the community service district uh, sort of recognized that and was formed, but it's this weird sort of community because it's UCSB and it's a student uh, community, but we also know that for a long time, it has also been a place for affordable housing for people to rent, rent apartments, Abrego Road, other streets where families who can't afford other places of the community have historically lived in Isla Vista. So at times there's sort of this clash of worlds. Can you talk to me about the community services district and the needs of Isla Vista and how these overlap in terms of what your projects are? Absolutely. Yeah, I think you said it so well. Um, and unfortunately, just as the housing crisis has grown to be what it is, I call it an emergency because I really feel that it is an emergency. Um, uh, we're, we're seeing less and less of that character of our community of being that place where you can rent an affordable apartment. And, um, you know, it's something that we've seen really region wide where, um, you know, our workforce, uh, you know, young um, families are, are being pushed out and um, can no longer find a place to live or, or can afford to live here. And um, I think that um, that's something that we've sort of watched happening as we have been formed um, while we've been in existence over the last five years. Um, and that um, one, of our, one of our core goals as a community services district is to really bring all facets of our community together, including local families and students um, to be able to improve the community uh, in a way that um, really works for everyone. And one big thing um, that we've really focused on over the last number of years is creating a safer community. Um, and we've done this in really kind of a non-traditional way, um, increasing a non-sworn uh, student officer presence uh, with a program that we created called the Isla Vista Safety Station Program. Um, this provides these non-sworn student officers that are unarmed, that are on uh, duty around Isla Vista on Friday and Saturday nights and other high traffic uh, evenings. And those officers are there to help uh, provide walking escorts for residents to give them a safe way to get home. Uh, they're passing out water, offering phone charging, um, and also kind of providing sort of a go-between between traditional law enforcement and residents. Um, the CSOs kind of being there on the ground have been really instrumental in helping solve some really dangerous crimes in our community, including one incident where an out-of-towner uh, had fired a gun. And um, I, I think what we find is with this approach, um, we're able to create um, enhanced safety in our community um, in a way that doesn't sort of fall within what you'd think of, of traditional uh, ways that local governments like to try and attack um, you know, public safety or, or to try and solve those issues. Um, we've also tried to recognize that uh, sexual violence is a huge safety issue that has existed in Isla Vista and really throughout our society for a really long time. And up until I think recently didn't really get a lot of the attention 
and um, the social um, sort of commentary uh, that it deserved. Yeah. And um, we've really worked to try and um, better services for survivors, establishing an interpersonal violence investigation program uh, that has a detective that works directly with survivors and witnesses um, so that if survivors do choose the path of involving a criminal justice system, um, they're able to be well served. And this investigator, you know, uses trauma informed methods. Um, it's really a departure from the old models where you would see survivors that when they go to law enforcement, they have to tell and retell their stories, um, their traumatizing experiences over and over again. And really, we think led to um, sort of a chilling effect for survivors that wanted to come forward. And now what we've seen since we've had this position funded is um, that uh, a growing number of survivors that may not want to involve the justice system insofar as they're asking for the case to be prosecuted still want to come forward and file a case and a report um, in order to get a little bit more sense of closure and validation for what happened to them. Um, ultimately, the goal of this is to place the, uh, the onus and the, the power in the survivor's hands. And so um, that, that's just a couple of things, but um, I think those two are really good examples of things that affect uh, all people in our community, regardless of what age they are or what their background is. Yeah, I mean, the way you talk about these services, it sort of seems somewhat parallel with the national conversation about looking at different ways to provide services that have traditionally been provided by law enforcement and looking at what can be done in, in terms of non-sworn people interfacing with individuals who um, have concerns and needs and safety issues. And it seems like to some degree, you're, you're already doing that uh, because you've sort of created this organization from election to the ground up. And then when it is appropriate to involve law enforcement, then that mechanism is there. So that's really a, a, a wonderful thing that is happening in the community. Let's talk a little bit about student life. Uh, you had mentioned, uh, you know, it's graduation time right now, and there's a lot of moving in, moving out, and then there's you know, moving in, coming in, coming in soon. That's a huge transition. That's upheaval because there's so much investment that goes into the community when students come. And then when they're, when they, when they move out of Isla Vista, there's this turnover and anything that is that um, involved, it, it, that much change has impact. So can you talk a little bit about what's going on in terms of what you were mentioning, which was sort of helping people uh, reduce the amount that goes to the landfill and all that stuff that they have in their apartments? Where does it go from here? And you're kind of involved with that. So what's going on? Totally. Yeah. Well, it's an exciting time for our community because recently we had Santa Barbara City College graduation and this weekend we have UCSB graduation. And so um, we're celebrating many of our community members who have uh, attained such an amazing goal of graduating. Um, and what we're also seeing is that in tandem with that, uh, many leasing companies end their leases around this time of year. And so there is um, sort of a, a mass uh, moving that happens. You know, if I look out my window, I can probably see two or three moving trucks on the street, people moving couches and things like that. Um, and um, one of the things that we've really heard consistently for the from the community since we were created in 2017 is the need for um, additional sort of beautification services to help keep our community cleaner. 
And um, a big um, component of that is helping uh, support the move out efforts that UCSB has undertaken. Um, I was sharing with you that I was volunteering earlier today at the UCSB Give Sale, which is a great uh, resource. If any um, Isla Vistans at UCSB or Santa Barbara City College students are watching, you can take your, um, your um, what, all kinds of different items, everything from clothing to furniture um, to um, just anything that you own, you know, couches um, to the Embarcadero Hall and donate it there. Um, and you'll have, you know, a place where you know that it can get uh, reused and resold and won't contribute to waste in our landfill. And um, in tandem with that, you're also helping keeping the streets clean because in the past we have seen, you know, a large amount of trash accumulate on our streets as a result of move out time. And so um, we, we really helped uh, work to help support the efforts and incredible um, a thing that it has been undertaken by UCSB for a while. Um, but we're also really working um, uh, we've had a partnership over the last number of years with the United Way, which uh, provides the Isla Vista Beautiful program. And this is a work experience program for uh, people who have recently experienced homelessness um, to provide them with a job in the community, uh, whether it's picking up trash from the streets and the sidewalks and gutters uh, to doing graffiti abatement, um, just making our community look a little bit more beautiful. And um, we've really seen just a lot of success with that program. Um, both in terms of making our community nicer, uh, but also in terms of supporting our neighbors um, that have recently been, uh, experienced homelessness. Yeah, and can you talk about that? I mean, I think there's a, a perception, certainly if you're not from here, and if you learn about Santa Barbara in the news or parents send their kids to UCSB, it's, it's a community. We do have homelessness issues there. It's not just some coastal university Obviously, it's very well regarded um, for many reasons, but what is the homelessness problem issue? Is it is it something that has gotten better? Is it getting worse? Um, how would you characterize it in the context of the community services district and what you see going on out there? Well, I think there's different aspects of it, but ultimately it's an issue of a lack of affordable housing. Um, we know that um, there are many um, students, uh, I think there was a study done recently by uh, for the California community colleges that showed that up to an estimate of 30% of um, community college students could experience homelessness at some time while they're in community college. And so um, while I think that um, there is an impression um, from people thinking that they know what homelessness is because you know they they look out their window or, or they they look to you know public places where there's visible homelessness mm -hmm. there is a lot of uh, homelessness that occurs in our community that is a little bit more silent you know people they're sleeping in their cars um uh, that are couch surfing uh, from house to house you know um just relying on uh, the help of their neighbors mm -hmm. and um I, I think ultimately what we've tried to do as a community services district is, is try to find ways that we can help support that effort. Um, you know, the United Way has office space in our building and we um, have had this excellent partnership over the last number of years um, and um, really tried to help build community support for some of the incredible undertakings that are going on right now uh, from the county, both the housing authority and the community services department um, to um, create more uh, beds and more housing opportunities for people who have experienced homelessness. And in tandem with that is um, the um, Hedges House of Hope, um, which 
recently opened on El Colegio in Isla Vista, providing housing for um, over 40 uh, recently homeless individuals. And that's run by Good Samaritan, um, doing, who do an incredible job really helping uh, get people off the streets and helping them turn their lives around to uh, really um, achieve uh, so much more. Um, and uh, I'm just so much in awe of what they're able to do. Um, and that that facility is named for someone who was a, a board member of ours, um, a colleague for many years, uh, Father John Stephen Hedges, uh, who was a priest living in Isla Vista for decades uh, that did so many just incredible things and was a huge inspiration and, and mentor to me, um, many of which uh, involved uh, helping support our um, our homeless community. And, you know, when when he passed away uh, in 2021 um, and uh, some of us from Isla Vista attended the funeral, we were so um, we, we were so struck that there was such a diversity of people that were in attendance. You had everyone from uh, law enforcement, you know, sheriff's deputies, uh, two people that were currently experiencing homelessness in the audience, all there to pay their respects to this incredible man. So it's a little bit of an aside, but um, we were forever grateful for his work. And um, I and I really think, again, like, you know, this investment that is coming both from the state and uh, the priorities, you know, from the county to help, you know, get people off the street and into a home is um, is really headed in the right direction. And of course, there needs to be more of it. Um, in order to uh, really have the effect that we want it to. Um, but um, they have really, I think, moved mountains over, especially the COVID-19 pandemic to try and help people. It's so impressive to hear you so knowledgeable and, and doing the actual work on the ground that there are many people who talk about problems, uh, but you're actually trying to solve them. And I wanna get to your personal story in a second, but before we go there, Let's talk about the issue of housing and the housing crisis. I know that in a previous podcast, I had made some comments about sort of things that I was sort of interested in, which was helping the people who grow up grew up in this community to stay here. Uh, many of the people that I went to high school with, unless their families owned a home, are no longer here. Renters are no longer here. They've moved to Santa Maria, Lompoc, Oxnard, uh, Pacific Northwest, Arizona, you know, these places that are more affordable. And I said, sort of said it in the context of kind of like being annoyed a little bit with the activist driven person from out of the area who comes in and sort of says, hey, here's what we need to do when reality is what one of I, I want to see more housing for the people who grew up here before we start looking at housing everybody else who comes to UCSB and wants to stay here. And I think that was a point where we and I, you and I exchanged some emails and you made some great points. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about the housing crisis. Okay. Um, what can we do to help people who grew up here, to help people who want to come to UCSB and then like you be incredibly positive contributing members of the community how do you afford to stay here how do people like you afford to stay in this community what are some of the ideas and solutions that that you're tackling well that's a great question and i think you and i agree very strongly um, on uh, that need to support everyone in our community because the one commonality between college students and working families 
is uh, the fact that you're a renter. You know, you're renting an apartment from a landlord and um, what renters have really seen over the last decade, you know, starting first with our workforce and working families, you know, is being pushed out to, you know, Oxnard, Ventura, Lompoc, and Santa Maria. Um, and um, students and, and young people, I think people in my generation that are in their mid-20s are feeling that now as well. Um, and um, I think um, it, it can be interesting um, to see the perspective of some, because I think as a renter, I often feel very, you know, somewhat alienated by the conversation that happens around housing because it just doesn't feel like the, um, like the urgency is there in the way that I think is, is really necessary. Um, you know, oftentimes these conversations are dominated by people that have already got theirs and it can feel like um, there are certain people that want to sort of shut the door behind them after they've gotten theirs. Uh, really, um, this is a, a pressing issue. And when I first came here to attend UCSB, um, you know, I lived in a garage uh, with three other people. You know, I was paying $700 a month. Um, I thought that that was a lot at the time. And now I hear from residents that are paying even more for similar accommodations. And that's if they can even find housing. You know, as we know, for students at UCSB, there were over 700 who were on a wait list to receive university housing. Um, and many of them uh, were ultimately housed in hotels during the fall quarter. Um, and um, so I, I think that this is really um, something for me that um, I've tried to draw attention to um, while also being frustrated that we don't have more um, authority or presence to be able to do as much um, as we'd like in this area because a lot of those responsibilities are are on you know the county or the university um, to really make that happen. Um, but um, ultimately, as far as solutions go, um, I think that UCSB can be an incredible partner in helping address this crisis. When UCSB builds student housing, it's built affordable by design in order to allow any student, whether you are a student from means or a low income student to be able to afford it. And um, I think that that's a, a huge sort of uh, untapped ability that they have um, that, you know, I, I definitely think we'd all like to see more of. Um, but I also think there's a huge role for, you know, the state of California to play to help invest in uh, providing more affordable housing, you know, um, in years past in Isla Vista, we had something called a redevelopment agency, which helped finance the building of more affordable housing. And it was very successful. In fact, I live in one of the buildings that was a legacy of that program, that benefited from that program. That was all uh, ended in 2012 due to the state budget challenges. And, and I think that it's definitely time for the state to strongly consider figuring out a way to bring back a program like that to really make those sustained investments year over year to to make those things happen. And what, what do you think of accessory dwelling units? Uh, we know that the state has made this much easier for homeowners to be able to, to add on, uh, to renovate, to alter their homes, to create a unit. Uh, you know, traditionally, they've been called granny flats, but it's a way for them to stay in their homes, to use that rent for part of the mortgage. And it does open up a unit technically for people. Um, I guess you would agree that's part of the solution. It's everything sort of sort of helps um, to, to sort of address that and chip away at that. 
issue. Of course, we see Santa Barbara, which is doing a, an AUD program, and most of that is is market rate. There is some some inclusionary housing, um, but we're seeing some of that. For years, Santa Barbara did not build any apartments at all and because it didn't price out for for developers and Galita is building more housing. So we are seeing, but it's not, it's not really enough, you know, in terms of what the, what the need is. Uh, when it comes to Isla Vista and that, that clash between the, you know, th- there's this narrative of, well, the landlords are going to try to get as much as they can out of students because they know they're going to pay and students as long as there's a market and there's somebody who's going to pay for Del Playa and Sabado Tart and, you know, these high-end places, you know, how much of the responsibility do you think falls socially on property owners, developers, landlords? Uh, what can they do to sort of be part of this solution rather than just, it seems like all the conversation is always, how do we make it affordable for them to build housing, right? Um, is there more of a solution they need to come forward with here? Uh, definitely. I, I think that you say it very well. And, and I mean, I'd, I'd say that the thing that I really hear from residents, um, one of the top three things I hear about is just the lack of, of quality housing too, right? So um, ensuring that when you do rent that house on DP or on Sabado, that it's a, it's a habitable place to be, you know, where, where there's not mold growing, um, you know, where when there are repairs that they get made in a timely manner, like that sort of a thing. And, um, and I think that you're right, like there is a lot, there is responsibility that falls on them. Um, and I think some property owners, you know, are, are doing the right thing and are at the table trying to improve the community. To me, it has been challenging because there is this small cohort of property owners that aren't, you know, from the community, you know, they're, they're definitely not living in Isla Vista. Many of them aren't even from Santa Barbara. Um, that that own these units and don't really seem to want to be a part of the solution. You know, um, there was a small cohort uh, of out-of-town landlords that spent, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to try to even stop our efforts to create local government for Isla Vista, you know, over the course of 2016 to 2018. And um, that definitely creates a challenge. There are landlords that want to come to the table and be a part of the community effort and we should really try and support that, I think. Um, but, but it's definitely something that um, is, is a, a hard thing to tackle. One of the things that we've done as a community services district is we have created a uh, landlord-tenant mediation program um, that is, is somewhat similar to what you see in the city of Santa Barbara, where there is a third-party neutral mediator who is a, uh, you know, a lawyer who is an expert in housing law that can help mediate all sorts of disagreements, whether it's between a landlord or a tenant, um, or oftentimes too between two tenants um, to come to a mutually beneficial solution that doesn't involve the courts um, to try and make those solutions more accessible for people. Because you know, many of our folks living in Isla Vista, whether you're a student or um, you're a long-term resident, like you don't have the resources to be able to go through the court system if you feel like you're being taken advantage of. And so um, it's something that, you know, we're really trying to uh, support and expand uh, those options. That's great. Uh, let's talk, Spencer, about you a little bit. I like to kind of know the person behind the the activist or the, you know, in your case, it's your profession, it's your career to make an impact, make a difference. 
Uh, can you talk about where you grew up and kind of what your values were and what brought you to UCSB? And then I have some follow-ups. Sure, yeah. So I, I originally grew up in the Central Valley in California, um, in Visalia. Um, and, and both my parents growing up um, worked for the public sector. My mom was an elementary school teacher. My dad was a city planner. Um, I can still remember being like a five-year-old. Some of my uh, happiest moments are when my dad would bring home uh, a map from like a subdivision that he was working on and I get to color all over it, you know? Um, and I think it's only like looking back now that I'm a little bit older that I can see um, really the desire to make a difference and um, really to, you know, for civic engagement um, and participation that they really instilled in me. Um, and um, I, I didn't really have that all the way growing up, you know, as a kid, you know, I, uh, I grew up playing baseball, stopped playing baseball, became kind of the skater, skater rat kid, you know, just roaming around town with my friends, um, hanging out, you know, being up to no good. Um, but um, when I when I graduated high school, um, I had the amazing opportunity because of the Cal Grant, you know, as a low income student to be able to apply for colleges and UCSB was a place that some of the you know closest mentors in my life um, most of whom were teachers at my high school um, either had gone to and had really fond things to say about and, and really encouraged me to explore it and um, you know i look back and think there's another life where maybe i didn't have those mentors and i never did explore coming to our community um, but i did and when i came here you know i found uh, just so much so many amazing things you know it was uh, a place where people were incredibly friendly, where the culture was so vibrant, and uh, not to mention the natural environment that's all around us is incredibly beautiful. It's unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And um, so I knew it was the right place to really come and, and lay down roots. And, um, you know, I, I think when I got here too, after living here for a little while, that's when I started to notice you know, that there were a lot of problems in our community that um, weren't being addressed, you know, in the ways that we needed, you know, friends of mine who didn't feel safe walking home at night. Um, founding housing was kind of like the Hunger Games, you know, if you can even get it. Um, and then once you've got it, you know, you're paying these really high rent costs um, or even the little small things like walking down the street and seeing the sidewalk end and you have to start walking in the middle of the street because Isla Vista in many places still doesn't have sidewalks. So um, it was only though when I started um, working for a newspaper actually for the Daily Nexus as a photographer that I had the opportunity to go and join some of these community meetings and these organizing efforts and see what was going on and um, got to meet some really incredible people who are now you know close friends and colleagues of mine um, and decided uh, that I wanted to try and help be a part of that effort. I wanted to help make a difference. And, um, you know, throughout uh, that totally changed the trajectory of like, I'd say my life, you know, what I want to do. And um, since then, you know, I, I've been involved in a variety of different things. I'm always involved in the voter registration effort um, at UCSB and some at Santa Barbara City College. And, um, you know, as a student too, um, worked with other students as well as the university and our state legislature to try and stop a tuition hike in 2018, which we were successful in. Um, I had some of the, had some, some great moments in getting to know and work with our Senator Monique Lamone during that time to 
try and find a solution that would not put the onus on on students and that would invest in public education. And um, just through that process, I fell in love with community organizing and um, just working together with people to help them uh, try and make a difference in the community. It's interesting. Your father was a planner. I can see that presentation style in yourself in terms of sort of how you communicate. Were they were they liberal? Did you have discussions about politics at home? Uh, did you did you did you have a? I know you say you play baseball and you're a skater, but were you 15 years old with sort of this desire to make a difference, or that just came when you were here at UCSB? So I think that um, in high school, the first thing that really got me interested in anything related to government really was some of the incredible teachers that I have who were teaching history and civics and learning about the system, which, you know, you kind of absorb, you know, naturally as you go through life, but all seems very alien and kind of confusing, especially to a teenager uh, and learning how it functioned and, and the way that, um, you know, uh, history has, has commenced. Um, was really inspiring to to want to learn more. And I guess that's maybe the personality that I have. Like, I'm always kind of curious, like looking to learn new things um, about, you know, a, a variety of topics. And, um, you know, in high school um, and, and, and growing up too, um, I would say that my parents uh, definitely were, and I think still are much more conservative than I am now. And um, I think, you know, growing up to in high school, I kind of naturally absorbed a lot of those values as well, or, or at least thought that I did. And it was really the experience of, of learning more in our civics class in high school that really made me to start thinking critically. Um, but then also, I think, you know, uh, learning more about history and, and seeing the way that our society was unfolding. You know, I, I was growing up around the time that, um, you know, Donald Trump was first running for president. Um, and um, I think that made a really stark contrast between, you know, what my values were and, and what the other side's values were. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's really interesting to sort of learn a little bit about how people got to be where where they were at. And I, Visalia is kind of a conservative area, probably, I think. I don't know. Um, it's sort of the more inland you go, you tend to see. A little bit more, more of that. When you got to Isla Vista and you sort of looked around and you start to be became become more involved in the community, did you sort of see yourself as being like, well, if I don't do it, nobody else is? Uh, did did you did you spend any time sort of looking at the history of activists and politics in Isla Vista to sort of see what was was being done? Um, can you talk just a little bit about how you were able to sort of say, you know, I'm the one, and, and of course you have other people, but it's going to be me who's going to be having to be somebody who's going to have to make this change. Well, I, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that really uh, sort of clicked for me um, that I wanted to be a part of helping make a difference was, um, you know, uh, one class that I had taken uh, with a history professor, Alice O'Connor, that was specifically about the history of activism in Isla Vista hmm. and the history of the self-governance movement. You know, yeah. the movement to try and attain more representation for Isla Vista stretches back to uh, the 1970s. Um, you know, even the fact that Isla Vista exists is a little bit of an accident. 
you know, around the time that UCSB was, had moved to, you know, the current campus location and was developing, um, it was a rather radical experiment to decide to, instead of building, um, you know, uh, an adequate amount of um, on-campus dorms for all students to al allow for, you know, private developers to create an adjacent community, that was, that was very, um, it hadn't been done before at the time that it was in, you know, the 1950s. And um, it created um, something that is very unique. And, um, you know, many activists, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in touch with them. And you know, we have some of them even now on our board that um, were active in the 70s and 80s to try and attain more representation for Isla Vista um, that, um, you know, whether it was, um, you know, their different efforts towards cityhood, um, whether it was their efforts to make a difference uh, in county uh, political issues to protect our environment. Um, it, it, it's really cool because I, I do see that we really are kind of in a through line with them. We're standing on their shoulders. Um, and that's what has allowed us to finally be successful at creating local government for Isla Vista. Um, and but, but to pin it all the way back to my professor, because I always love to give her a shout out, Alice O'Connor, um, I. I'm really grateful that she decided to make a class specifically about our local community wow. because you don't really often see that in education and yeah. all of the educational experiences that I've ever had that I look back and think that that was the most valuable thing are these experiences where you get to tie, you know, the, the theory that you're learning about with what's actually going on in the community to make a difference. Yeah, what an amazing class that must be. Is is it still offered? Does she do it every quarter or is it every year? You know, I, I'm not sure if it is still offered, but I, I know that there are, are other classes that touch on it too. And and she regularly teaches another um, another class that touches on Isla Vista. And you mentioned you were a photographer for the Daily Nexus. Was that a journalism thing? Or like, did you have an interest in journalism? Or was it just you like photography? It, it came together, but can you talk about how that happened? I, I'm kind of my um, side hobby has always been, um, you know, film, video, um, photography, a little bit of graphic design. Okay. And um, I, it just fits so well, you know, working for the Daily Nexus, you know, as a, as a freshman living at UCSB um, to be able to make, you know, some extra money to support myself, but also get to do something that I enjoy doing. And it was almost kind of happenstance that I just got assigned to go and cover these community meetings. Um, and get to to hear what was being said and um you know it's when i first started going it was kind of like show up take the pictures dip out like that's that's how you do it you know because you're getting paid by the picture you're not getting paid by the hour yeah. uh, but then over time i just became so interested in the conversations that were being had you know about everything from solving the parking problem in isla vista to creating more safety um, to uh, addressing, you know, issues with landlords and tenants. Um, it was inspiring because I had never really seen anything government be that accessible, you know? So um, that it, it just, it was, it became kind of a natural fit. That's cool. I'm going to go dig up the Daily Nexus and look at some of your photos, maybe, you know, see how you, see what you do. They definitely still use at least one of those photos as like their file photo that you see on new articles that come out. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. File photo. You know, I um, got familiar with you largely through your involvement with the Democratic Party and me covering Democratic Party uh, elections, you know, endorsements and events. 
So I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about your other hat, which is you're an organizer for the Democratic Party. And I know Darcel's the, the chair, and I'm not going to ask you like big picture party stuff or anything, but just like you and your role and your involvement, what does it mean to be an organizer with the Democratic Party? And what do you do? I think that a lot of people when election times come, especially with local stuff, you know, they'll just, you know, look like, oh, what is the independent and doing? I'm going to, you know, use that because they're kind of a liberal paper. I'll, I'll just go with that. Or they'll look at whatever mail they they get. There's so much that goes on, though, behind the scenes that's super important that the party does to help support their candidates get elected. We don't, this doesn't happen on accident, okay? Obviously voter registration is, is uh, on the side of Democrats, but you still have to turn out Democrats to vote. Can you talk about your role as an organizer and just give us a taste of all the work that goes into what you do on that end of your, that side of you? Definitely. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm the organizing director for the Santa Barbara County Democratic Party. And my main role is to coordinate our volunteer for field operations. So if you ever had someone knock on your door or you've gotten a flyer dropped off at your door, or if you've received a phone call from, uh, you know, about a Democratic Party candidate, that was done by a volunteer. Um, I'm one of only two staff members of the Democratic Party. So the lion's share of all of our voter outreach is really done by people that care about making a difference in our community. And so, um, I really, um, I, I love the work that I do because I get to meet so many incredible people that care about um, seeing um, progressive and democratic values um, represented in not just, you know, our federal and state government or like what's going on nationally, but they care about that being implemented at the local level. And that's really where our focus is. Um, because as you mentioned, um, you know, with, um, a lot of these local seats, even really, really engaged voters that know like a lot, don't always know who the Democratic candidates are because the party preference for local candidates is not listed on the ballot. And so the only way for the community to know if their values as a voter align with the values of a candidate is to get those endorsements, that card that has the local um, you know, Democratic Party endorsements. And so um, really, aside from just, you know, trying to win the election, I really see us as providing, you know, a service to voters in that way. Um, and, um, and the flip side of that is there's nothing worse. You know, we get calls to our office while saying, who should I vote for for this office? Who should I vote for for that office? And it's like, well, there's no, there's no endorsement in this race. The Democratic Party doesn't really have a say in this one. Um, mm -hmm. which, and, and you hear that voters, it's, it's almost not satisfying for them. It's like they, they want to have that knowledge of like mm -hmm. who shares their values before they cast their vote. Yeah. And so um, I, I really started um, all of this, you know, working at Isla Vista on our voter registration program. And, you know, over this last week on election day, um, I got to be out here um, doing, you know, our get out the vote operation, um, talking with residents, you know, encouraging them to go to the polls. And before that, uh, you know, doing that voter registration to help enfranchise people. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very um, rewarding. And it, there's nothing like being able to see all of your work sort of come to fruition on election night, you know, when you've got the returns coming in and you get to see how well each candidate did. And of course, this past Tuesday, you know, our big focus was Susan Salcedo, our county superintendent of schools, you know, helping her fend off 
attacks from the right wing on public education. And we were very successful in that. And, you know, it, it really felt, it feels very good um, to be able to have that difference on the community. Yeah, you know, for I took a break from journalism and worked for Das Williams for two and a half years uh, and did, you know, got a taste of that, the canvassing, right, the putting literature, the walking the neighborhoods, uh, meeting at events, you know, to talk about the, the various strategies and picking up your your stack of literature with your precinct papers. But I guess I was old school because it was like a printout, right? And you'd go through it and, you'd, you know, check it off the homes that you hit. Now, now it's like advanced. You have, you have an app, right? Now that you guys use and you're able yeah. to, yeah. to, can you talk? I think it's fascinating with that. You know, maybe you've had a Democratic Party volunteer knock on your door or put some literature there, right? But can you talk about like what that entails? Like how much work that is? Where, where, how do you know where to go? And I mean, you don't just knock on every door, you're knocking on, Democrats, likely voters, people vote, vote again, kind of thing. How do you use the app? How does that interface? How do you approach an election when it comes to organizing your, your people, your volunteers? Sure. Um, I, it's a very complex question because it differs for each election and for each candidate, and it differs depending on what uh, the goal of the field program is, like at any given moment. But, you know, I'll use this previous election as an example. So, you know, as you mentioned, you know, we're going to go knock on doors. We have to decide who we want to talk to. And for this election, um, you know, we're talking with Democrats. We're also talking with some independents and minor party liberals like Green Party, Peace and Freedom Party voters um, that do um, have a history of voting in primary elections. We, we did something really different this time around and started off by talking with people that have a history of voting, uh, but maybe not in a midterm primary election. You know, as you know, as we saw, the turnout for this past election was very low. And um, that's in keeping with historical trends for this type of election. It's always kind of the lowest turnout election, a midterm primary. And so we said, what if we spend some time really trying to talk to the people that have voting history, but haven't voted in midterm primaries before? And so we did, we did some of that. And, you know, what goes into it is really, um, you know, cutting on the map, you know, the areas that we're going to send the volunteer to, getting them set up on the app uh, and logged in so that they can see, you know, the houses that they're going to go knock on the door of. Um, and then, you know, either they talk to someone and, you know, they record what the response that they got from the voter was, you know, were they feeling supportive? Were they feeling kind of undecided? Um, and then based on that um, as well, like if you don't talk to a voter, you know, leaving the flyer and, you know, just providing that information for them. And so, um, that it's really the core of what we do. We do phone banking as well, but you know the research is really clear that having a direct conversation with someone one to one is really what can help motivate someone to participate in the civic process, and um, also you know what can persuade them to um, support one candidate or another candidate. Yeah, and it's something the party does really well here. Uh, <clears throat> conservatives put signs in the public right away and think people driving by are going to vote for that person you don't have to say anything spencer i know you're you're trying to you know be on here but i can say it no it's just... such a waste of resources right i smile like, every time that i see it <laughs> they're still out by the way it's like why don't you go take them down you've had them up in the public right away illegally forever um but the real work is taking your time 
early in the morning, all day on weekends, in the evenings, and talking to people. Like that is so valuable and it's important. And you can't write a check and have that be the, have the same impact. You can't, it's that human interaction. And that's something that you and the party do, do really well. I'm going to ask this question and then we're, we'll wrap up, but you know, you have such genuine um, passion for what you talk about. It, you know, it's clear. I talked to a lot of people, some people, just sort of do the bullet points. Some people really believe it. It comes across like you really believe in everything you're doing. You're well, you're well, uh, you're thoughtful. You've you planned out you, you, everything that you're doing. You do it with purpose and intent. And can you, I'm going to try to ask you this question one more time. And I, I asked it earlier, but where does that come from, uh, Spencer? Like most people, right? And I want to stereotype here, but most people don't decide to spend the years after their college this way. Okay. A lot of people in our society is structured of go make money, you know, go travel the world, go experience, come back. It's a, maybe a little bit more of a selfish agenda and not everybody, but a lot of people here you are doing this work Well, you could be doing a million other things. Why Spencer, why is this so important to you? I mean, I think that, you know, sort of the alternate, you know, path that you're suggesting of like, you know, maybe just traveling or, or working and trying to make a bunch of money, like just isn't really something that I guess has ever really appealed to me, like as something that is, is worthwhile, I guess. Like, I mean, I'd like to make enough money to survive and be able to live here. Right. Um, but I mean, I think that um, to me, uh, what it comes down to is, you know, seeing that uh, a lot of um, you know, what we think of when we think of progress, like in our society, um, you know, about the things that we all care about, whether it's LGBTQ rights or abortion rights, um, or whether it's uh, supporting working people, you know, supporting unions, protecting our environment, like all of that progress doesn't come by accident. Like if we sit down and don't do anything and try to watch it like it's a TV show, it's just not going to materialize. And um, I, I think to me, at least, you know, really living through the election of Donald Trump in 2016 was a huge wake up call. You know, I had maybe very smugly and I think in a very privileged way, didn't think that that was ever going to happen. Um, and of course it did. And uh, I, I made a, a pact with myself, you know, in 2016, you know, as we were sitting there watching the results um, that I was gonna do everything in my power to try and prevent that from happening again, you know, in 2020. Um, and I think that somewhere along the line of, of going through with that pack, it was also very clear that um, the job wasn't finished and um, we needed to continue fight for these things. Like I always think of, you know, the quote um, about how the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. Um, and I, I think it's a beautiful quote, but I also want to kind of pull my hair out because it's like, no, like we're the ones who bend it towards justice. Like there's no one, it's, it's not going to magically happen. And um, I think maybe my personality of just being a little bit of a workaholic sometimes kind of like, you know, also um, takes that and, and applies it really just rigorously towards, you know, organizing campaigns or, um, you know, trying to make a difference in the community. So, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer your question in terms of where it comes from. I, I guess, I guess that's the best way I can say it. 
Well, that's well said. That's great. I appreciate that. Let's wrap up here. Let's look at November. What what what's ahead? What is the party? What is the what your in terms of your role? What are you interested in, and what are you going to be working on as we lead into November? We have a obviously an assembly race, uh, uh, yeah, going on with Hart and Stoker. Uh, what are some of the issues that you are going to be focused on uh, going forward the rest of the year? Well, the the two big things are. Um, number one, electing Democrats, um, both, you know, at the statewide or at the to the state offices, you know, the assembly and Congress, uh, but also really with an eye for our local offices and our city councils um, and trying to get more Democrats elected on city councils. And we've really taken um, under Darcel's leadership a really um, a renewed focus in North Santa Barbara County. Um, you know, in North Santa Barbara County, there's more Democrats than Republicans. But the way that a lot of people in South County think of it is, oh, that's the Republican area or that's the conservative area. Um, and it, if you look at, you know, the governments that are elected there, um, it's easy to understand why they think that. Um, but there is a huge opportunity to, you know, elect progressive champions in those communities to really have them help, help them make a difference in their local communities. So that'll be a big one. Um, but another thing that we have really been working on doing is um, trying to um, knock on doors and talk to voters and build relationships with people sort of outside of the elections as well, um, so that um, we can really try to hear what it is that people care about um, and um, try and help them um, sort of provide them with resources um, when there are resources that they could benefit from um, and also just help establish that community. You know, I think that's something that, um, you know, in a way, like we kind of lost as a society because everything's so mediated through our screens. And um, so especially for our volunteers that really enjoy doing this work and knocking on doors, you know, we want to give them a, an opportunity to do that, you know, year round too, right? Like not just in the confines of like a specific election and, you know, working towards electing a specific person. So we've done some of that um, in North County. Um, you know, we really started it in Lompoc this spring before the election. Um, and um, we're going to continue to do Great. Well, I really appreciate you taking some time, Spencer, to talk about everything that you're involved with. Uh, so much, so many hats. Uh, you do them all well, and you have uh, more work to do. But I think people are really lucky to have you and others like you. I know it's not just you. There are other people um, in this community doing this work when you don't have to, but you you choose to because you really believe in making a, a difference and having an impact. And that should be inspirational to everyone. So thanks so much for your time, Spencer, and have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you, Josh. Thanks so much for having me on. This has been really cool to get to know you too. And so um, I appreciate it a lot. And I appreciate the work that you're doing. Like I said, huge fan of podcasts. So, um, you know, I'm not sure it'll be kind of weird to have to listen to myself talk again. Uh, maybe I'll just listen to the other episodes that have been out recently. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I know how that goes. You know, it's just like, oh, that question was, I, I can't believe I asked that, but that's the beauty of <laughs> You're it. You're probably right? used to hearing yourself listening back to it because you have to edit it and everything. So. <laughs> exactly. But um, I, once again, thanks a lot, Spencer. Have a great day. Take care.